All right, Chris, let's do the pledge. John, we're not doing any pledge. What do you mean? It's uh, kind of how we start the show. It's not even a real show. It's just a show where we talk about another show. John, giving you a podcast is like giving a weasel a chainsaw. Okay. Um, I just want you to see I, I brought you a grapeco and a bag of raw cashews. Uh, that ought to get you through the afternoon. But after that, you're on your own. Bye. Forever. Uh, John, we still have to recap Better Call Saul. Oh, yeah. Hey, John. Hey, Chris. We are here back on another episode of Saul Searching, where we recap Better Call Saul. And uh, today we're going to talk about episode nine, Pimento. I had time today before we recorded to listen to the Insider podcast. Right. And they talked a little bit about the name of this episode, and they got into the subject of pimento cheese and pimento cheese sandwiches, and that whole thing about it being the caviar of the South. Right. Which is a line that Mike has in this episode about his pimento cheese sandwich. And it turned out that the the writer of the episode, Thomas Schnauz, had no firsthand experience with, with pimento cheese, and so he looked it up on Wikipedia, and that's where he found that in the Wikipedia article on pimento cheese, right. it's referred to as the caviar of the South. And Vince Gilligan, a good Southern boy, as you and I are, Chris, said, uh, I, I believe we, we, the caviar of the South is just caviar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am not a fan of pimento. Well, I happen to love it, but I do understand. I don't get it. It's one of those things. It's like it's it's everything about it is would be an acquired taste. Well, that's yeah, that's a nifty uh, little insight to get. Uh, but as we've said, don't listen to the Insider podcast because you want to be on with the with the uh, the rebels. That's us. We are the rebels, but I do think sometimes it's good to know what the empire is up to. Yeah. Okay. So, scene one, we find. Uh, Jimmy and Chuck on a bench uh, across from Chuck's house, and Chuck's kind of taking it in, the fact that he's he's outside and he's okay, and uh, Jimmy's making him, uh, you know, feel the grass between his toes, and uh, they don't really talk about the feelings around this, this revelation, you know, being men, I guess, but, uh, and you can tell he's still kind of hinky about it, so we're going to be uh, still dealing with his malady throughout the episode, but at least he, he can get out more now. Not to just constantly quote the Insider podcast, but I thought this was a pretty cool reveal. There was originally a flashback that was about 15 minutes long that they shot for this episode, but they realized the episode was 15 minutes too long. So they shelved that flashback, and the goal is to maybe recycle it for next season, because they say it was a sequence that everyone really, really liked. So, so what we saw as the cold open of the show, which is Jimmy and Chuck sitting on the bench, was originally intended to be the first act, uh, you know, coming back from the titles. Right. And the first break. Well, now I'm really curious what that whole flashback is going to be, but I'll just have to wait. Then we see Mike at Stacy's, and he's brought the little dog over, which is all clean and nice now, and Kaylee's playing with it, and he's he's trying to give them the dog. And, uh, you know, we had speculated last week about whether, whether he would keep the dog or what was going to go on, and so now that's settled uh, because uh, uh, Stacy agrees to take the dog. I love that Mike, his, his, his taciturn... You know, badass nature is not just extended to uh, humans he encounters because he, he promises Stacy that if the, the little sucker has fleas, I'll kick her butt myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's this dog's responsibility as a, uh, you know, as the code of being a good dog to not have fleas. Well, Chris, there are good pit bulls. There are mean chihuahuas. There are jovial Dobermans. 
they're cruel poodles. There are shy Saint Bernards, for Christ's sake. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll get to we'll get to Mike's philosophy w- uh, later in the show, and then Mike gets a, a mysterious call on his cell, which seems to be about a, a job offer, uh, uh, and uh, uh, he steps away to take the call. And I, I like how he kind of stepped into the shadows there. You know, you have to you have to stand in a shady place to make these shady deals. Then we find Jimmy and Schweikert in front of the judge where they're uh, arguing about uh, whether Jimmy should have a restraining order on him uh, to keep him out of the old folks' home. And Jimmy says, uh, uh, the most common phrase around this place, I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> and then I like it. And he adds, uh, uh, and by the way, old people adore me. Um, which, uh, uh, the, but the thing I get about it, that I like about, about it, I mean, it's a short scene, but it's like something the writer's, do when they need to, you know, it's like if they're going to be needing Jimmy to be able to be in and out of the place, uh, and they know that some viewers are going to say, well, why isn't the sandpiper doing more to keep him out? You know, they, they, they deal with that, but they can do it very quickly and easily. So like this in the, at the, in the first scene of the show, they have Chuck mention in the first scene, uh, you know, that, uh, they might be, putting a restraining order or they might be putting a restraining order on you and then here they do this quick scene where they argue about it and then they cut to jimmy saying he won and and so that's all knocked out very handily in a very efficient way right they kind of shuffle us through that part of the story into what's really going to be the, the next stage for this case you know are chuck and jimmy able to handle this clearly they're 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 outmatched when it comes to the just the sheer amount of documents that Schweikart can can send over right they send them all these boxes and so like they don't have the staff to you know what does he say they'd go bankrupt even trying to keep up with just responding to all of this Jimmy has to kind of listen to the, to reason in that moment but it's definitely not something he likes yeah if you're gonna have to go into you know maybe a whole separate case about each of these 68 people or whether they're competent or not to be you know in this class action suit but Jimmy stays, you know, he keeps his gumption for a little bit, and he's like, we can Aaron Brockovich the shit out of this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, Chuck is, is realistic, and, and he, he, he just says they need to refer it to HHM, as we've been expecting. Uh, and he, he makes a good case, and Jimmy breaks down. So He says, hail Satan, I submit to the dark side. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll say this, though, Chris. At that moment, I, I, I wrote down, I smell a rat. Like, and I know that we knew there was going to be more to it. And I'm not saying I was a genius for figuring that out. But I, I felt like, boy, the way Chuck is selling this to Jimmy feels like Chuck has decided something about this case separately from Jimmy. And he's kind of bringing Jimmy along. You know, like it was it was the first hint that there was kind of more going on there between the brothers than than we had even uh, begun to imagine. So, right. Um, I mean, like, it's interesting to see a character like Jimmy, who is so at the heart of this show often, who drives the story forward so often. In this episode, he was kind of adrift with all these other characters kind of advising him. Yeah, he's trying to fight for himself, but he's more being told what you can't do over and over through the show. Right. Uh, But then uh, at this point in the story, though, he's as he leaves the room, he says, I guess I'll have to get an office right next to yours. So he thinks he's going to move into HHM. If I watch that episode again, which I probably will, I might notice Chuck, how he reacts to that. But at the time, I just thought it seemed like, you know, Jimmy's being very hopeful and very excited. And he's got this kind of puppy-like eagerness to to just be in cahoots with his big brother. 
Right. Well, I think maybe you, what you would see as Jimmy leaves the room is kind of this look on on Chuck's face, whereas not knowing the whole story of the episode, we might have thought the look on his face was, hmm. But knowing the whole story, we feel it's more like, hmm. You know? Hmm. <laughs> so, um, so later that night, uh, Chuck sees that Jimmy's fallen asleep, and he, he sneaks out of the house, and he's wearing his space blanket, uh, and he's struggling with his malady, and uh, uh, he uses an oven mitt to get Jimmy's cell phone out of the mailbox, and he makes a mysterious phone call. Uh, second, second mysterious phone call of the episode. When I saw that scene, I just thought, oh, it's just like it always is on this show. I'll figure out who he was calling and what the call was about within a couple scenes. But the fact that he waited till Jimmy was asleep and he kind of sneaks around, now it seems so meaningful. You know what I mean? That's much more pivotal of a moment than I thought it was uh, when the episode was rolling along the first time. Exactly. I also thought, well, this is something, but it's not that big of a thing, you know, because I felt like, oh, we can guess he's probably calling Hamlin, but it didn't occur to me what he might be saying, which, of course, we can get to at the end of the episode. And I just, uh, for some reason, yeah, I'm like you. that they, they got away with showing me, oh, there's something here, but maybe it's not all that momentous. Well, now we're back to the Mike storyline, and uh, I wonder how long we'll go with uh, Mike and Jimmy's stories being separate, uh, because it's been a couple episodes here where we're just watching Mike's story. Uh, but, uh, you know, at some point, they'll come back together. Uh, but anyway, uh, Mike's in a parking deck uh, waiting on his client, uh, and there's a giant guy also waiting, and then this third guy appears, and uh, we learn that it's a bodyguard job for all three of them. Uh, but this, uh, this third guy is so obnoxious, and he immediately starts in with racist remarks and talking about all his guns. And uh, for me, it just you know it makes you realize how uh, you know waiting on on a seedy under the table muscle job. Uh, it's a lot like sitting on an airplane or or anything else in life. You encounter annoying people, and it's a real hassle to put up with them. Uh, and that's, that's just life. I mean, I guess I would say maybe the guy with the guns was was one of those other few times, maybe if we've noted it throughout the season, where the show, you know, is a little bit of a caricature. That guy was a little bit of a cartoon. I mean, there was no way that Mike was not going to humiliate him in some way. You know what I mean? Right. But if you're talking about setting Mike up with, uh, uh, I chose less to think of it as, oh, the show's just trying to show us an easy doofus for Mike to knock down, I saw it as more of a counter to Mike, that it presented us with a different vision of what this guy could be. Because what Mike does is, he's so efficient and he goes in under the radar, um, He uh, he's not going to be that showboating type of guy. So to contrast him with that guy seemed to me a worthy thing to do, uh, it, it just in regards of kind of helping us define who Mike is. But yeah, I guess you're right. You also think, well, maybe this would be the kind of person you would be sitting next to on the bus. Every now and then you meet a caricature in real life as well. Right. Um, I thought it was interesting. I picked up the name of that character is Sobchak, which is, I think, is named for Walter Sobchak from um, Big Lebowski, the John uh, Goodman character from oh. Big Lebowski. Oh, and then, and then the other guy, the super tall guy, I don't know if you noticed that Man Mountain was his name in the credits as well. <laughs> right, because the guy, the little guy refers to him as, as uh, or the third guy refers to him as, as Man Mountain. Uh, yeah, but, and that's actually what his name name was in the credits. I thought that was kind of kind of funny. Right, and then, so Mike beats the guy up, and uh, but I, I love when Man Mountain runs away <laughs> because, yeah, yeah I'm, 
I don't know. I'm thinking maybe it's his first day on the job, you know, and he just found out he's not cut out for this. He might be a soft, gentle soul. But obviously, if you think about what the job actually was, Man Mountain probably would have worked out okay because he was he really was just to be muscle, just to be a scary presence. Right, just needed to be standing there. Right. So he, he missed out on, on 500 bucks. Uh, <laughs> or uh, 750, I think. Oh, that's right. It would have been, uh, yes, if they had done it that way. So Mike takes the job and they drive off. But um, I, Oh, did you catch who the guy was? The guy that played Price? He was completely familiar to me, but I couldn't think who he was. Um, as the actor's name is Mark Prosh. Um, I don't know. Who played Nate on The Office. Remember Dwight's kind of handyman that, that helped him out around The Office when Dwight became the building manager? Oh. And he had the kind of the kind of doofus underling who would always be like helping him uh, convert the two-ply toilet paper into single-ply toilet paper and that sort of thing. Okay. But I also love the way he over-explains himself. I mean, he's clearly not, you know, he, he, needs, he needs help for sure, but he's, com- he's completely, uh, you know, driving up in the minivan and explaining that he's not using his real name and all that kind of stuff. It was <laughs> right. just so amateurish. Yeah, I love that. Another antecedent of um, Walter White in that he's a little nebbishy guy who's getting involved in this drug trade for some, you know, for some vague reason. So Right. Well, between him and the Kettlemans and Walter White, you could say that Albuquerqueans are largely these... Uh, normal, pitiful little laypersons who get involved in worlds of crime and don't know what they're doing, and they have to feel their way through it. Uh, so then there's a quick little bit where Jimmy's uh, psyching Chuck out to go on the car ride to HHM, and we see that they've sewn the space blanket into the lining of his jacket. Uh, and then, uh, and then we go to HHM, and they 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 collect all the cell phones and shut off all the power. Uh, for Chuck's visit, and and when he comes in, the whole staff is there to give him a big round of applause. We got a sense of that grand foyer uh, of HH&M in a way we haven't before, and I think somehow like shutting all the lights off almost gave it the feeling of like Game of Thrones or something like that. It was this huge cathedral-like space, and all these people gathered in, and, and I mean, you know, that was a that the production value of that was was immense, and it really sold this idea of high. A uh, high-powered firm, you know, you really right. get the sense of what HH&M is and how many people work there and what the difference is between Chuck and Jimmy scrambling around Chuck's place and this. And you also get a sense of Chuck's stature. And right. for me, that was a real eye-opener because all along I'd been thinking of Chuck as this fragile, uh, sort of pathetic person. And, I mean, of course, we're going to see in the episode it's even more so, but this was like a, the, one of the hints of his, of just of his stature that... Uh, Hadn't been as diminished as maybe I had thought. Yeah, yeah. He's remembered and loved. Of course, you know, how much of that is Howard telling everybody, clap real loud. You know, we'll get to it later, but thinking of Howard's role in all this and his motivations and what's going through his head is so tangled now when you think back on it. Like in that scene, it seemed like a very clear Howard is sucking up to Chuck kind of thing. But now it plays differently. Right, right. Um, And then they go into the big meeting with all the lawyers around the table and... uh Hamlin tells Jimmy he can he can have twenty percent of the, uh, you know, at the end of the case and get twenty percent and also uh, twenty thousand dollars right now, uh, but Jimmy is still thinking he's gonna move in and have an office here, so uh, Hamlin clears the room and he 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 tells Jimmy, no, we we just want the case, we don't want you, and the uh, case is all we want is is the way he right he yeah. yeah he's about to basically say we want the case we don't want you and then he he figures out a. a softer way to phrase it um but it's that was cool that you could totally see what he was about to say what they do here too is they start to 
set up kind of a wrong question for you. They, they, you know, Hamlin won't say exactly why they won't take Jimmy on. And he kind of keeps coming back to that a little bit. Why? You know, and you start thinking, or I did, oh, is there something that Jimmy did to Hamlin in the past that we don't realize that, that maybe even Jimmy doesn't realize that Hamlin is, is hating him for, um, and, uh, but he never does come out with an, with an explanation. Finally, Jimmy says, you can't have the case. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll burn the whole thing to the ground before I give it to you. So, uh, that goes off the rails. But, um, uh, and then a little more of the same little misdirect, I think, you know, later Kim comes to talk to Hamlin about what happened. And she's also like, you know, well, why did they make that decision? Why won't you bring Jimmy on, you know? And so you're really thinking at this point, I was anyway, gosh, Hamlin has some secret reason that we don't know about. What's the reason going to be, you know? Uh, yeah. Which is true, but you really think it's something between Hamlin and Jimmy or something like that. They've done such a good job of, of suggesting and then, and then not contradicting this notion that Hamlin hates Jimmy and yeah. that Hamlin has it in for Jimmy. Right. Um, and so, yeah, you go to, oh, this show's going to deepen. There's going to be some new plot line or some new thread that I haven't thought of. And, and the fact that Kim, I mean, I was glad to see Kim stand up for Jimmy and kind of declare her, the fact that he's her friend in public. When she comes in there, that was kind of a gutsy thing to do, I thought, you know, to um, to basically challenge one of the partners in that way. And and he basically, I mean, he he, he shuts her down <laughs> pretty hard. Yeah, he really, he snaps at her and says, I don't care what you think. It seems nasty. Like, seems nastier than he, than he should. But yeah. I wonder if that's not him wrestling with the tough emotions of what the situation is requiring him to do. Exactly. And then when she goes to leave, he's like, oh, uh... Okay, come back in here and talk. Come back in and shut the door. And so, so then we know he's uh, he's gonna tell her something, but we don't get to find out what it is until later. They're not pulling the wool over our eyes in a in a cheap way to preserve suspense. What they were doing was giving us just enough information to sort of put it together, kinda, but allowing us to react to the way Jimmy is feeling. I think that was kind of a key thing. Yeah, is that when the show shows its hand is also when Jimmy figures it out. Yeah. So now we go back to Mike. Uh, he's with uh, uh, Price again in this uh, industrial area, and uh, they pull up to the you know the the drop off place because he's 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 going to sell some pills, and uh, uh, I don't know if he's a pharmacist and he stole them or what the deal is. But anyway, we we uh, uh, we already saw like you said he's an overthinker, and uh, and now he's overthinking how this handoff is going to go. Uh, but Mike is his usual calm wise self and 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 he's like here's how it's going to go down you know uh so then the guys show up to buy the pills and it's nacho and uh, yeah and i was i was i was unexpectedly sort of excited and happy to see nacho i was like hey nacho's back you know i i want to i want to see how he's a regular on the show and i i felt like okay you can start to see the story kind of knitting itself together a little bit more tightly than than before with that right but this still could not be a big deal we still might not see him next episode and uh uh, you know that he's he's technically irregular, but he he may not be that strong of a story point at this point. I wonder because you know he, this just was a, a a chance encounter that came and went. Well, I mean, Mike might just realize if he's trying to make money on this crime thing, the prices of the world are not going to be his ticket to supporting his his daughter in law and granddaughter. But perhaps the nachos of the world are a closer connection to the assets that he's trying to gain. Right. Um. But anyway, their their encounter gets a little scary in the middle, but then it comes out okay, and uh, 
and Nacho and his guys leave, and then we're left with uh, Mike and and Price talking in the van, and uh, and we realize that Mike's done his his research. He he knows uh, that Nacho's working working on his own now and wouldn't want to wouldn't want Tuco to know anything about it. So he, uh, you know, so that's how he knew that Nacho would want it to go so smoothly and that he wouldn't need a gun. So Price is really getting his getting his money's worth for the fifteen hundred. I mean, Mike basically just elucidates the the show's mission statement <laughs> about morality. Right, where he got it, like you were saying with the dog, he got into all the types of people and how they deal with, with everybody. Well, yeah, yeah, that you may tell yourself you're not a bad guy, and that may be true, but he says you're now a criminal. Good one, bad one, that's up to you. And I think, I mean, we know that when Mike says there are bad cops, he's talking about himself, but he's also talking about the guys that he killed. So right. Mike has to put himself in a different category than those guys. You know, somewhere deep inside, he he views himself as having more of a code than that. Right. His philosophy seems like it's that whether you're on the right or wrong side of the law is not so important, but whether you tell people you're going to do something and then you do the thing that you said you were going to do, that that's the important thing that makes you a good or bad person. So now it's nighttime at the nail salon, and Kim is there to meet Jimmy, and uh, he's he's bought every kind of liquor and uh, just wants to, to rant about Hamlin. Uh but Kim is, is telling him she thinks he should let Hamlin take the case. And, uh, you know, she makes good points that he can he can get a good chunk of money with no risk and uh, maybe set up his own office and, and, and put HHM behind him. But uh, Jimmy thinks she's, she's betraying him somehow. You know, Hamlin promised her an office or something uh, to come tell him to do this, and so he's getting really upset, uh, and, and she leaves. But, you know... At this point, we know that she knows something or something is going on, whatever she heard behind that door, but but we don't know what it is yet. She looks stricken the whole time. She shows up looking like she feels guilty and she feels bad. So we know, yes, that, I mean, not only do we just know that the door was closed and that the conversation continued, but we know that whatever Howard told her is allowing her to sort of want to take the same party line that Howard is taking. Do you know what I mean? Like, but but we see that she exists in a different place. She doesn't seem like she's part of any collusion necessarily against Jimmy. And I'll have to say, I was pleased to see that because I know last time we speculated a little bit about whether Kim's attachment to Jimmy versus her attachment to her career trajectory would, like, if there was going to be some some competition there. But I think they kind of sidestepped that by saying that not only does Kim go to Howard's office and say, he's my friend, why, are you, why do you hate my friend? But she also feels genuinely hurt about something. Like, in that moment, I was not thinking, oh, no, what did Kim do? I was thinking, gosh, what did Hamlin tell her that she is now telling Jimmy the lie that she didn't believe before, which is that this is just how to do it. You know what I mean? Like, there has to be a reason why you don't give him a chance when he's the guy who did this legwork and everything like that. And, yeah, I mean, I'll say, once again, we weren't putting it together. I I, I know we've maybe commented on this before, uh, maybe not on the show, but... I know to each other, we've commented on how we don't typically watch things looking for twists and looking for what the twist is going to be and looking for what the lie is that the storytellers are telling us, that we are good subject. If You know, like Sixth Sense, I know people that will proudly say, ah, I saw it coming from in the first five minutes. Right. And I would think, oh, I guess if I was trying to, I might have, but instead I was enjoying a movie. And so when I'm enjoying a show or a movie, I'm not looking for what the twist is. When I look back on something, I'm always looking for little clues and hints and allegations and everything. Yeah. You let it wash over you, and, and when they do genuinely surprise you, it's a it's a thrill. Right. It's definitely, yeah, it, it can hurt your own enjoyment if you 
spend time going like, well, is it going? Is this going to happen or that? I know what might happen, or maybe it's this. It, 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 I think a lot of times, if it's a movie, it can be a bad sign uh, for the quality of the movie because your mind shouldn't have uh, the time or interest to wander into all that speculation. If it's a good enough movie, you would be wrapped in the moment all all the time. But um, as a as a show, it's more like you could have a good show and you could still spend time thinking, well, is this going to happen or that going to happen? Because you've got a week until you see the next episode. And it's almost like it's built into the experience of watching this piece of entertainment is that you ruminate for a week. Right. Bob Odenkirk was playing this great agitation. He says, how, how did this happen? I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Like he's, I think he said it to Chuck after the meeting ended with Howard. Yeah. He had this. He said, "How did this happen? Have you ever had that where, like, ten minutes ago everything was okay, and yeah. now you're in the shitter? Yeah, you just think, wow, I, I, I was excited and inspired, and now I'm like wondering where it all went wrong, and 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 you feel sort of ripped off, but it's almost like there's a kind of shock. And I felt like Bob Odenkirk perfectly played in that scene with Kim, the the place he was in his trajectory. But what he says about Howard is, he hates me that much. I hate him more. What you drinking?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's so agitated at this point. He's, he's so manic in that moment, right? But he's on the edge of tears when, when she's telling him to, to give up the case. You know, he's he's just really on edge, and he thinks that she has betrayed him. Even if we can kind of see that it's not that simple, but he thinks that that Kim just sold him out. Yeah, definitely. He's he's trying to figure out what what the heck is happening, and then after she's gone, there's a short little scene where he starts charging his cell phone, which would seem kind of like a a, a, a non-scene, but we'll find out uh, soon why that's so important. It became a plot point that the phone died. What I had begun to believe, again, another misdirect, was that he was going to plug his phone in and that there was going to be a call that he had missed that came through. Right, or he's at least going to see all the times Kim tried to call him or something. I don't know. So it didn't seem like a non-scene, but once again, the show had given me sufficient reasons to think about genuinely compelling th- other things related to the phone that I was not thinking so much about the smoking gun. Which is what we get into now with the final scene. Jimmy's at Chuck's and he, he says he was up all night thinking that he's decided to take the deal and and Chuck agrees that that's the smart thing to do and he says he'll he'll keep talking to Howard about him and you know, hey, you never know. But uh, then Jimmy starts to, to pin him down and, and uh kind of lawyer him and, and, and says, you know, hey, I've got an idea. Why don't you try to leverage them by quitting, you know? And uh, and then he comes out with the blockbuster that after he charged his phone, he figured out that Chuck called Hamlet to tell him not to bring him on and that it's been Chuck all along who kept him from getting a real job as a lawyer at HHM. And then Chuck says, sorry, brother, I underestimated you. You know what? Maybe I need to rethink things. Let's patch this up. The Brothers McGill will write again. No, no, John, I think maybe you're misremembering. (laughs) That's not what happened. No? No, it's very emotional and awful. And Chris, what happened? Well, Chuck admits to it. He says, Jimmy, you're not even a real lawyer because the way you wormed your way in and you, you took the easy way with a correspondence course from the uh, University of American Samoa, and, and you're still slipping, Jimmy. Uh, and, uh, and he says, uh, you know, uh, giving the powers of a lawyer to you is like uh, giving a machine gun to a chimp. He just really, he lays it on. It's terrible. And uh, Yeah, he does not take it easy on Jimmy, no. which makes for great drama, 
but man, I mean, you find out so much about Chuck that you weren't sure about in that in that turn of events because yeah. what you were thinking was, again, Chuck's a fragile person. And I did hear the writer or someone involved with the creation of this episode, I believe it was writer and director Thomas Schnauz, who said that there was a pride to the way that Michael McKean was playing the character that led them in the writer's room to realize where that pride was coming from. That like Michael McKean carried himself you know, that he, he, he brought something to Chuck that was not totally and wholly path- pathetic. Because he knew how hard he worked to get here. Right, but the, and he's so fixated on that, and he's never thought that Jimmy... And this is hard to say. I mean, I honestly find it hard to say because I have grown so warm towards their relationship in the last few episodes, but that he has never wanted to see Jimmy as someone who was equal to him. And not just... He's been disappointed, or he's seen Jimmy as a bit of a failure, but he doesn't think Jimmy deserves to be beside him. His vision is clouded by his pride. Right. I'm a real deal, and I worked hard to get here, and you you didn't, so you're not. And he didn't just say, come on, Jimmy, you're not a lawyer. You're, you're something else. You've got something to give the world. But it's some, what he said was, you're a joke. You're, right. You can't be trusted, kind of, you right. know? Right, right. Chuck's not just complicit in this sort of conspiracy <laughs> to keep Jimmy at arm's length. From this dream, he's behind it. Yeah, he's the leader of it. If you've ever been in that type of situation in your life where you've been betrayed and you know you've been betrayed, that is the thing. It's not the it's not the simple act of being betrayed. It's the the conspiracy behind it and who knew what when and you're trying to put it together and and uh, you you just feel like a cosmic fool. So in that moment, I mean, Jimmy showed a lot of of uh, integrity. I thought with the way that he handled it because he didn't just break down. He didn't say why, 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 or anything like that. He, he kind of recognized that, you know, Chuck has just said something to him that breaks their relationship in half. Yeah. I found it incredibly hard to watch. And I know I told you this, and I guess it's the sort of thing you might mention if you're talking about your feelings about a show, but I cried. <laughs> I cried yeah. when the brothers were fighting. The thing about Chuck is true about a lot of people that maybe they, they judge you early on rightly or wrongly, based on what you're like at a certain point, and then they never give you a chance to change. They never reassess you. So he decided, you know, when he was 14 and Jimmy was 12 or something, this kid is tricky, we shouldn't trust him. And he never in all their life gave him a, a do-over and said, oh, maybe he's all right now. He's just hung yeah. on to that and hung on to that, and you can't shake that when somebody does that to you. It's like when people say once an addict, always an addict or whatever. Once right. a junkie, always a junkie. Once a crook, always a crook. It's like you know that someone was capable of having a moral failing that you find unacceptable, and therefore the whole notion of trust with that person is non-existent. You, you know, um, I think there's something in all of our hearts, though, that says if it's your brother, you might be more charitable. Or if you saw him really hustling. But again, we've been kind of, we've been kind of falling in love with this notion of Jimmy the way that the show wants us to and the way that Jimmy might be feeling good about himself. But we now see that, like, I don't know, all those ways that Jimmy seemed kind of vaguely ridiculous, you know, that Chuck was thinking he's vaguely ridiculous, or not just vaguely, thinking he's utterly ridiculous right. in what he's doing, and that he's humiliating him. And now I wonder how much Howard Hamlin even had to do with the, maybe you should change your name, you know, like. Right, right. Howard may be innocent in all of this. It could have been uh, Chuck all along who was telling Howard, hey, uh, see if he'll change his name and don't hire him for this. This show, outside of Mike's episode, has not had a lot of bloodshed. So the most brutal thing that's happened is a brother betraying a brother. Yeah. The idea of Chuck 
being impressed with him was the thing that was inspiring him to do all of this straight and narrow stuff. You know, right. we go back to that moment in the prison. The promise to Chuck is the reason why he's not slipping Jimmy anymore. Right. So he's got he's got these lawyer powers <laughs> that he gained at the University of American Samoa that he's now going to p- perhaps mingle with his his slipping Jimmy powers. Yep. And if that doesn't sound like a recipe for Saul Goodman, then I don't know what. Well, similar to a chimp with a machine gun. Again, so harsh. Like Chuck is so up his own ass that he's more focused on how much he's been bottling up his emotions about this. He's not thinking. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't expect it to hurt, but it doesn't seem like Chuck is 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 thinking about the fact that he really does not need to say all that. You know, the damage is done. Right. I wonder how much. Uh, yeah, how much they're going to remain as enemies now. Uh, to this degree or even make it worse and then if they're ever going to come back out with the, the possibility that you know uh, chuck could get uh, worse instead of better with his his uh psychosomatic craziness and that maybe then jimmy would be in a position to uh, put him in the uh loony bin after all i still find it hard to imagine that that any version of jimmy would commit his brother uh, out of an act of vindictiveness yeah like that that seems like a but that would be a great way to show that Jimmy has turned a bit darker. Right. Completely dark. If they yeah, if they want to say J- Jimmy's gone all the way to the worst, that would be a good way to do it. Unless they've really, you know, made Chuck worse and worse by that point and then at that point it wouldn't seem maybe as bad if they've made Chuck just a complete monster, but I don't think they would ever go that far with that either. Bodies might start piling up any minute on the show, but I believe that we saw the kind of emotional drama that this show can go for and and make those emotional moments hit it's going to be violence of a different sort you know because now it just kind of seems like the emotional warfare between jimmy and chuck could take so many interesting shapes like chuck could become a real antagonist to jimmy next year or it could be as you said yeah what if chuck backslides and needs jimmy and jimmy steps in and helps chuck would that not be one more uh you know one more entry in the jimmy's got heart uh, sweepstakes right if, if that were the case right like they, they 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 can keep playing with us in that regard but i i would be genuinely disappointed in jimmy as a character i mean again i know these are fictional characters and it's good drama but i would be sad if jimmy coldly commits chuck no of course you'd be sad that would be horrible but you know as yeah. with walter there's parts where you're like oh my god i can't believe the guy i'm following is so horrible but um mm-hmm. uh so anyway just because i didn't say at the end of the scene uh, he uh, uh uh jimmy basically says you're on your own, Chuck, and just like it's a divorce, he, he he walks out, and that's the end. The end. The end of the McGill Brothers ad hoc law firm. Um, the next episode is actually called Marco, which is the name of Jimmy's old accomplice, the the, the big guy from the alley who oh, right. uh, who helped him out with the scam, you know, the watch scam, mm-hmm. who is also, we should mention, I guess we'll have time to talk about his performance next week, but he's also the actor that plays Todd, on Last Man on Earth on Fox, which has been a lot of fun, too. So, Yeah, he's caught a wave, so good for him. Well, what else? Uh, do you, is there some business? I guess we want to give people our uh, email address or whatever. Yes, you can write us at saulsearching at gmail.com. You can also catch us on Twitter at Saul underscore searching. I would say if you're listening to this and you have any thoughts about the show, obviously next week is the finale of Better Call Saul, but it's also the finale of Saul Searching. So if you have any desire to write in or uh, you know pay us a compliment or give us an insult or a suggestion or anything like that this is the time to do it but this is the last time chris that we're kind of throwing to a next episode with a see you next time kind of vibe this you know after next week it'll be goodbye for who knows how long 
who knows until when next season starts or if we'll do next season or or what i guess we know that they're doing next season for sure but um i am hungry for my lunch so i'm just gonna say hot talk hot talk (laughs) 